I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 today. Acts chapter 10. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to be able to preach your word. And God, I pray that you'll help me this morning uh, be faithful to your word, be faithful to the text. Um, I know that uh, I know that all of us have things that we can learn today. I know all of us that have things that we can we can hear from you, and so I pray for each one of my friends here, and including myself, that we would be open and receptive to the things that you want to teach us. That we wouldn't um, just kind of come in and listen and, and go out, but that you would come in spirit now and um, be working in our hearts, penetrating down, so that we're if we see places that we need to. Um, walk more deeply with you or um, places we need to repent or places we just need to be more thankful for the gospel that God you would do that work in our heart that you would do that in our lives and that we would um, want to leave different that we would want to leave um, more on fire for Christ more willing to um, seek out those who might not know you and tell them the gospel we love you God and I pray these things in Jesus name Amen. All right, so we're in Acts chapter 10 today. And as we're looking at it, um, I'm hoping that, uh, that as you see it, you'll kind of see some stages of how conversion happens in the life, lives of people, how you'll see um, God preparing the soil uh, and messengers or those who believe in Jesus um, being willing and being obedient to share the gospel. And then eventually God blessing that and and bringing about salvation um and so i'm hoping that as we see that uh, we'll all be encouraged by this to um want to be able to be more proactive and share in our faith with people and more proactive in seeking out people that might not know christ or and really people that aren't necessarily like us either will be more active to to seek those people out and share the gospel with them so um I know it's kind of crazy sounding, but we are going to be in the entire chapter of Acts chapter 10. I know, I know you're thinking, how are you going to do that, Fudd? It's, uh, it's 48 verses. I'm not sure that you can even do that. I, I believe I can. So just in your spirit right now, pray for me to, for me to be able to do that. So we're, we're in Acts chapter 10 and just kind of to let you know what's going on. This is a, this is a unique, um, kind of period in history. Uh, this is after the resurrection of Christ and um, the, the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, Acts chapter 2, had come and Peter had preached um, at Pentecost and he had seen people get saved and then the apostles were going out and telling people about Christ and, and lots of people were becoming Christians and so the church as we know it was beginning to be formed here in these early stages and we can see people um, coming to Christ and the church really beginning. Um, and up until this point in Acts chapter 10, um, Acts chapters 1 through 9, um, really all the apostles, all they had done is just share the gospel with those who were Jewish, um, those who were the people of God, the Israelites. They had kind of confined it to that, and they were teaching them about Christ, that Christ was the fulfillment of these things. Um, and, and what we're going to see here in Acts chapter 10, Luke is writing, Luke is wanting us to see in Acts chapter 10 that now there's something new that's going on. It's not just salvation to just the Jews, but now um, we're going to see salvation open up to a whole new um, group of people, which are the Gentiles, more than likely every single one of us in this room. <coughs> And it's pretty amazing how God brings all these things about and causes it to happen. So um, 
The, uh, the title of this sermon is Until Every Nation Knows Him, and that's just kind of uh, the main point of Acts chapter 10, is we're going to see now the Gentiles are brought into this message of salvation. So every nation um, that is Jew or Gentile, we want all of them to know Christ. Um, and in, in Acts chapter 10, um, the first little section, um, as I said, um, this whole chapter is going to be stages of conversion. And we're going to, we're going to see how God is sovereignly working. And what I want you to do as we're looking through these, these different stages, I just want you to kind of take note, um, who's the one doing the work? Who's the one doing the work? Is it God or is it you? Is it you causing people to be saved or is it God causing people to be saved? Is it God bringing about his purposes or is it because of you doing something? And, each one of those, you'll see, as, we're, as we'll go through this, um, it's on the whole God in every case. But there is one place where we, we definitely have to do something, and we'll get to that. But let's go ahead and start at chapter 1. I'm sorry, at chapter 10, verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Um, that just means that he was, he was a pretty big guy in, in the army. And it says, A devout man who feared God. Now just notice this description of him. Notice this description. A devout man who feared God with his household, gave alms generously to the people, prayed continually to God about the ninth hour, which was about 3 p.m. in the day, of, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. You can just imagine this. None of this had ever happened to him before. What is it, Lord? Um, now, him calling him Lord doesn't mean that it was God because we know it was an angel. Um, he just didn't know what else to say. And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with, um, with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here's, here's this first stage that's going on there in the first eight verses. Is that God is preparing the ground of the unconverted person's heart. God is preparing the ground of the unconverted person's heart. We see that. Um, now, you may be, as I was when I first kind of read it, like, wait a second. Are you sure they're unconverted? Didn't you read verse 2, Fud? Look what it says. Um, a devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Now, um, as we read that, that's, that seems to be a description of someone who is saved. That seems to be a description of someone who has um, fruit of salvation. But there's a couple things. Um, first of all, Kind of the obvious point is, why is God sending an angel? And we're going to see throughout the rest of this story um, that, this, that he wasn't saved. But why would God be sending an angel to Cornelius to tell him to bring Peter so that Peter can preach the gospel so that he can get saved um, if, he was, if he was already saved? So we can, we can see that what was going on here and, and what most commentaries I was reading um, this week said is that um, Cornelius was more than likely a... Uh, converted into the the uh, religion of Judaism and so he believed he didn't he didn't want to buy into the paganism idea where there's just do whatever you want he believed that there was a god that there was a god that was in control and so as we're looking at this description he was pious and he did fear god and he um it says all of his household which means that he also uh practiced his his righteousness in front of them not in a sense where he was trying to show off but 
in a sense that it was attracting to them and they wanted to be a part of the things that was that was going on in his life. And you can see even over in verse 22, um, it says, and they said Cornelius, kind of they're describing him, I'm jumping forward, but it says, um, Cornelius was a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. So we can see there's this very positive description of him, but more than likely, he wasn't necessarily a Christian yet. And so God's preparing the groundwork, preparing the heart of him and all the people in his in his house um, to, for Peter to come share the gospel. And this is how this really applies to us right now. Um, in today's society, we're going to see these two kind of classes of people. We're going to see those who are pagans, just outright, um, I don't follow Jesus and I don't really care to follow Jesus and I'm not really concerned about following Jesus. We'll see some of those people. We'll encounter some of those people as well. But we'll also see... Um, People and they, they'll have maybe a different attitude than Cornelius, but we'll see people who are religious. They they do these things like maybe they fear God and maybe they uh, maybe they give things, maybe they pray some, and they they seem to go to church and they seem to have things together. But really, um, on the outside, they're just kind of religious people who conform to rules. And sometimes, on, in most of the cases, they kind of demand everybody to follow the rules with them and do the things. That, and you'll see this most prominently here in the South. Um, they have an outward uh, conformity to what it looks like to be that they're following Christ. But the inside of their heart um, hasn't been converted. And we'll see these people are called the Pharisees as we're going through Matthew. And Jesus has a lot of strong things to say to them in Matthew 23. Um, and the truth is for us, and this is how it applies to us, um, if you're one of those people then you don't need to have just an outward conformity to rules, but you need to have a heart change. If you're not one of those people, but those people drive you crazy. Um, I think they drive everyone crazy, first of all. But the second thing is, um, while these people are difficult to love, while they're difficult to love, um, we should, and, and we're actually commanded, to still love them. We can't just find the ones who are the pagans who are just like, oh, I don't like Jesus and I don't want to ever be around them. Like, we can't just find ourselves having a heart for them because maybe they're easier to seek, get converted. But those who are religious, we need to have a, a heart for as well. That's what we see in Luke 15. When at the very end of the story, the, the prodigal son, we see that the son, the, the younger son who had come home and the father was rejoicing and he's all excited uh, that he's there and the father's all excited and the, the older brother, the religious, kind of storms out and he's like standing in the back and he's not getting in and he's like, you know, you do all these things and you won't even give me a goat and I want a goat. And so the father, the father doesn't just say, fine, older brother, whatever, just stand out there and sulk. He actually goes out, the, the, the father does, and this is, this is our, our, our example. We need to have a heart and love just like the father. He goes out to the older brother, the religious, and entreats him, come in. And so as we see the heart that the father has for the religious older brother, that's the same kind of heart we want to have. We don't want to be, um, we don't want to be just like whatever, fine religious guy, whatever, you know, we want to have a heart for them as well as, as well as for the pagan. And so we can see here in this first set of eight verses that, um, that God is preparing the work. And we can see also, one, one last little thing, is we see immediate obedience from Cornelius. Cornelius, I want you to do this. And then he obeys immediately. So just a, uh, just a hopefully a, a little 
kickstart for you if you if you have trouble obeying God immediately. Even the unconverted were obeying immediately in the scripture sometimes. So we want to let that um, let that encourage us to be immediately obedient. All right. So here's the second thing that's going to happen. God's prepared the heart for the converted. Now, the second little section, nine through 16, we're going to see that God prepares the messenger for the task. So the unconverted's heart are starting to get prepared. Now we're seeing Peter, who is going to be the messenger. He's going to be the proclaimer of the gospel. God starts preparing him as well. And it says this, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, these these people that they're describing there in verse 9 are the people that Cornelius sent. It says, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, which is around noon. Um, Their day started at 6 a.m., so you can just count forward, Um, which is around the sixth hour to pray. So we can see here that prayer is happening in Peter's life um, as this is about to happen. And it says, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. It's noon, and so he's hungry um, and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, apparently he's got some chefs, um, he fell into a trance. Now, remember, he went up there to pray and he fell into a trance. Now, I know some of you at nighttime when you go to pray fall into a trance, but that's a different kind of trance. That's just because you're tired and you're sleepy. Um, this is noon and this is in the middle of the day and he's on top of a house. And this is a different kind of trance because he's going to have a vision. So don't count your, your trances of sleep as your prayer time. Uh, it's a little bit different. But one thing I do want you to see is that um, his heart gets prepared for mission as he's going to pray. We're going to talk about that in a second. And it says this, um, and he saw the heavens open up. Now, this would, this would freak me out. He saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. So you can just imagine this huge bed sheet falling down and by its four corners just descending down. And it says, um, descending on its four corners, verse 12, and in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So inside this sheet were just tons of animals. And there came a voice to him. Mine's in red, mine's in red letters, so we're assuming that this is Jesus speaking. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten any, anything that is common or unclean. Now, if, if you don't have much church background, what's going on here? In the Old Testament, um, there were strict kind of dietary laws for those who were Jewish, and Peter was Jewish, that these are certain animals that you can eat, and those are the clean animals, and these animals you can't eat. These are the unclean animals, and you're never supposed to eat them. And so inside of this big parachute are all the animals that Peter was not supposed to eat as well as the ones. And so Jesus is telling him, hey, these animals that you've never been allowed to eat, I want you to eat them. And so he says, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. And then verse 16, this happened three times. And it, I read commentaries and tried to find why it happened three times. I don't know why, but I thought maybe it happened three times just as a reminder because things keep happening to Peter three times, you know, deny him three times, restore him three times. And now this thing has to happen. Peter's just kind of hard headed, I think. And it has to happen a few times um, before he can get it. I don't know that at all. Don't don't say that's why Um, this happened three times. And the thing was taken up once into heaven. Now, if we just kind of stop there, and we're like, um, how's that preparing uh, Peter for the task? Is it really, you know, Telling him what to order off the menu when he goes to Cornelius' house? What are you talking about, Fudd? How is that preparing Peter's heart? Well, this is how. And if you just kind of um, shoot over to verse 28, you'll see why. 28 says, 
And he said to them, you yourselves, this is, we're going to read it in just a second, but this is Peter describing to Cornelius um, the, the dream he had and what the meaning of the dream was. And he said, you yourselves know um, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit with anyone of another nation. But here it is. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So we know that this dream about animals isn't about animals. It's about people. And so what's happening is God in this vision is telling Peter, yes, you've always thought salvation is just for the Jews, but now I'm opening it up to every person, Jews and Gentiles. And so Peter um, had never had these categories of thought that salvation flows out to not just Jews, but Gentiles. And so God had to prepare Peter's heart to be aware that now you're going to go proclaim the gospel and preach the gospel to a different set of people. Now... There's a couple things that prepared uh, Peter for the task. One was prayer, and second was was the vision that he had. Um, Peter was in prayer, and God revealed to him more people that he would go share the gospel with. And second, he had this vision. Um, You're probably not going to have one of these kinds of visions. God's not going to like parade animals in front of you one night or one day um, and saying, now you know that you can go share the gospel with people that are different than you. Um, You can just kind of assume now that you are free to share the gospel with anybody, whether they're like you or not. But the one thing about prayer here, Peter was in prayer and God through this prayer takes him into a trance, gives him a vision and then lets him know that he can um, now go and share the gospel with more people. And Peter, we'll see, is immediately obedient. And he's going to go because the people come in right there. But just a couple of questions um, before we go into this next section. And I'm hoping that these questions, as we think about um, extending the gospel or sharing the gospel through evangelism to people that maybe we've never shared the gospel with, or maybe people that we you know need to share the gospel with, Um, I'm hoping these questions kind of open up some realities in your mind of where you are um, in regard to sharing the gospel. Um, What does your prayer life look like in regard to asking God for real opportunities to do evangelism? What does your prayer life look like? Um, Do you find yourself in prayer ever for opportunities? God, I really want to be able to share the gospel today. Would you please do that? Now, there's reasons. Maybe you're just too busy or you just don't think about it or you just don't care. I hope, hopefully that's not the case. But um, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if you find yourselves in prayer more for opportunities to share the gospel, that you'll be more aware of these opportunities. If you never pray for opportunities, you probably won't see them very often. But they're all around, and I think that your heart would be more prepared if you're praying for them. Um, I'm hoping that if, if you're seeing yourselves not sharing the gospel or not praying about sharing the gospel, that, that won't be something that um, drives you to despair and just um, <laughs> saying, well, I'm never going to do it. I stink. I'm just going to give up. I'm hoping that instead um, it'll change your heart about wanting to do it and you'll start praying for more opportunities and you'll start wanting to, to do it more often um, and so that you can find yourself more on God's mission. Let me, let me just read you a text from Mark um, that helps us see what the, uh, what the mission of God is. This is what, basically, if you're a believer in Christ, this is what you've been regenerated for, um, to bring God glory, and this is one of the ways that you can do this. Um, this is Mark 2, uh, 15 through 17. It says, As he reclined at the table... 
This is very early on in Jesus' life. It says, As he was reclining at the table at the house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. Just notice, Jesus was with people who needed to hear about him, with tax collectors and sinners. Is that the pattern of your life? And this is what he says, um, For there were many who followed him, and the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, these are the religious who said, You're never supposed to hang out with the, with the, with the sinners, or you'll catch their disease. Um, he says, they're eating with sinners and tax collectors. He said to his disciples, why do these, these people said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, and this is our mission right here, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's our mission. We've come if we've been regenerated, we are going through life now in order to seek out those who are sinners, seek out those who are the sick, and give them the cure. Tell them about Christ. That's, that's why you have been regenerated. One of the reasons, I should say, that you have been regenerated, to join in God's mission in seeking and saving the lost. All right, so we've seen God prepare the heart um, of, of the person that needs to be converted, and then we saw G, uh, God prepare the heart of the messenger. So far... Who's the one doing the work? God in both senses, all right? Now, God's going to sovereignly bring them together here in verse 17. Notice this. It says, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision had, uh, he had seen might mean. So all, right here, he doesn't know what the world was that all about. The food and the parachute and the animals and kill. I don't know what that means. And so while he's just finishing, he's inwardly perplexed as to what this might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So they were really close and called out whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, still trying to figure it out, the Spirit said to him, um, Behold, so the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter here, I'm sorry, and says to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. We can just notice here the sovereignty of God. As soon as the, as soon as the vision is over, the men are arriving there at this exact same moment. And the Spirit says to him, Go with these three men. This is pretty awesome. Um, and Peter went down, verse 21, And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, he's an upright and God-fearing man who's spoken well of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you say. And he invited them to be his guests. So without that vision, Peter would probably think they're crazy. But um, the vision, clearly Peter's thinking, all right, God's up to something here. Y'all stay the night here. And then we can see in verse the continuing in verse 3, the next day they rose and they went away with him and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So now we see Peter is taking some of his homies and his people, whatever. Peter and his friends are going to go along with these guys from, from Cornelius and go back. Um, and this is a good thing. This is a really smart thing for Peter to do because we're going to see in just a little bit that the conversion of Gentiles is going to happen. So if Peter's by himself, he doesn't have other people saying, yeah, we saw the Holy Spirit fall down and it was amazing. But he's going to take some other people who are Jewish who are going to be eyewitnesses with Peter. And so that later on, when Peter goes and reports, this is what I saw, Gentiles getting saved, then people are going to be like, well, this must be from God. All right, so it says that um, 24, and on the following day, they entered Caesarea 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met with him and fell down on his feet and worshipped him. So Cornelius is super excited about him being there, falls down on his feet and starts worshipping. And Peter's like, whoa, get up, bub. That's not right. And Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I'm just a man. I'm too, I'm a man. Um, don't worship me. And 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Um, so Peter walks in there and it's just tons of people there. Cornelius had gotten together everybody. This is, I mean, this is amazing. Um, and he said to him, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. This is what Peter's saying to them. Um, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent, um, when I was sent for, I came without objection I asked then why you sent for me. So here we can see um, in this in, in the rest of these verses, in verses 17 through 33, this is the intersection of the two, of Cornelius and Peter, or really the unconverted and the messenger, the intersection of the two and the interaction of the two. Um, now, this is the description of how it happened in Acts. Now, the intersection and the interaction of the two, in your case, let's just say there's unconverted or those who don't know Christ in you, it might not go just like this. I mean, this is like the, the best of all circumstances. Uh, the unconverted are actually sending for the Christians to come back and tell them the gospel. That probably won't be the case for you. But um, we can still see uh, the obedience of Peter and the willingness of Peter at something that seems pretty strange to him. Um, I don't know if this is this is how it's supposed to be. I'm not sure this is how it's supposed to happen. Um, he's still willing to obey God. He's still willing to, to, to go and see, all right, there's people that don't know Christ. I want them to know. All right, and it says in 30, and Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, so Cornelius is going to explain what happened. Four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man or an angel stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. So therefore, send, or send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I went for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come here. No, this, is, this is the best part. Now therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear that you, um, that you have been commanded by the Lord. To hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so, we're a captive audience, Peter. Everybody here doesn't know Jesus. Everybody here knows you have a message that we're supposed to hear. We're all ears. Start talking. So again, um, the intersection of these two and the interaction of the two, while there is some shades of, yes, there's, there's us doing some of this, this is still God bringing all this together. And so anytime, at any moment, you share the gospel with anybody, um, the two of you being together at the same time isn't just coincidence or just fate or anything like that. This is still the sovereignty of God, His hand, bringing the two of you together. Um, and what's happening here is uh, a possibility, a new possibility of an entire new world of people that need to be converted is being opened up to Peter. Now here's how this applies to us. Um, this is brand new for Peter. This is something that he's never done. This is work that has never happened before in his life. So I think you can see how that can apply to you. Whether you've never shared the gospel and it would be brand new work, or you have shared the gospel and maybe God's branching you out to start being a little bit more sensitive or wanting to share the gospel with people that aren't like you. Um, And so 
In the same way that Peter is now getting to see a whole new world of people and possibilities that he can, now God can be opening up. I don't want you to dismiss the possibility that God could be um, right around the corner opening up an opportunity for you for a whole new entire world of people to hear the gospel. And maybe even um, a brand new people group that's never heard the gospel. God could be calling you to missions to go share the gospel with someone overseas and a whole new people group starts getting converted. Um, don't dismiss your, the possibility that this could be the case for you. I know you, it's easy for us to say, that's the Bible, that's how it works there, that never happens in my life. But don't dismiss the possibility that just like Peter, he's getting an opportunity to share the gospel with a whole new group of people. That That's definitely possible for you tonight. Tonight, God could be opening up a possibility. But go back to point number two. I want you and God wants you to be praying for these opportunities, be mindful of these opportunities and be thinking about them so that when they come, you're more open and you're more ready to share the gospel. As soon as it comes, you're like, oh, I've been praying for this. This is it. Thank you, God. And then you're ready. And not just like it kind of passes you by and you're like, oh, yesterday I could have. Uh, I wasn't even thinking. Um, don't, don't be like that. Be thinking about the opportunities that you could be opened up to a brand new um, set of people that need to hear the gospel, whether it's in your dorm room, whether it's in your class, whether it's in your family. You know, we all have those people in our family at the family reunions. You're just like, are they even coherent? Um, like we have those people in our family that, that we know need Jesus. I, I got them too. Um, Christy knows what I'm talking about. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> I'm tempted to go into some stories, but I'm like with everything in me, I'm not going to. Um, so the intersection of the two and the interaction of the two uh, is what's happening here. And um, verse 30, I think, really kind of sheds light into the status of Cornelius's salvation, where he says, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house in the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and sinned. For Simon, why else would God be telling, sending an angel to telling him, you need to hear something? Um, if he was already converted, that would make no sense. So now we're going to see captive audience. We're all sitting down. We're all ready. Peter, we're warning you to go ahead and tell us the gospel. We're ready for it. Shoot. Let's go. All right. So this next little part right here is more where we do some things and not necessarily God. But here's the thing. I want you to take note in this. This is, this is number four. The messenger shares the gospel. The messenger shares the gospel. This is verse 34 through 43. Now, if you are uncomfortable with telling the gospel to someone, or if you don't have any experience in sharing the gospel, or you know that you want to, but every time you try, the words get all jumbled and you, you don't know how to do it, or it's just a difficult thing for you, what I want you to do is just always remember, if I want to share the gospel with someone and I'd like to have kind of a little, a little framework of something I can use to do, think of Acts 10, 34 through 43. Um, really, I think it starts at 37 through 43. And let that be a little framework of verses you can use whenever you go and share the gospel with people. All right, this is what it says. So Peter opened his mouth. Now, this is one of the most key points. Peter didn't cower away and get scared and run away. Peter didn't say, well, I really want to tell you, but I'm scared and nervous. You have to, and we all have to, be obedient whenever the time shares the gospel. It might not be a captive audience like this where the whole household just kind of sits down and says, you have the floor now. Um, but you'll have opportunities, and you have to be like Peter. 
Open your mouth and start talking. This is what he says. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. And that just means now I understand that it's not just salvation is not just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles as well. I understand that. But in every tribe, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's going to be unpacked of what that exactly means here. Verse 36. Um, as for the word that he sent to is- Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. So he's saying this is the news that was given to Israel, is that Jesus came preaching good news, uh, and that just means the gospel, um, that he came and he lived a life for us. He went to the cross, he died, and he was resurrected. And then Peter uses this little phrase, he is Lord of all. Now, um, one of the commentators that I was reading kind of took that little phrase out and and helped us see something. This is pretty awesome. That little phrase, Lord of all, And paganism was used as a title for deity. So Peter takes this little phrase that more than likely all of them were probably familiar with and kind of redeems that phrase and helps them see that it has nothing to do with paganism but has everything to do with Jesus. So he takes the phrase and redeems the phrase and points them to the true Jesus. As a a matter of fact, um, throughout the kind of Christendom there in the very beginning, um, or at least the early church church age, this phrase was taken and kind of, uh, one of the commentators says, baptized into the Christian world and used to say that uh, Jesus is the Lord of all, using a phrase that they would all be used to. So Peter Peter contextualizes the the message of the gospel of where he is. Um, And what I want you to notice here as we go through the gospel here in 37 through 43, I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, that um, the subjective personal experience of Peter seems to be somewhat absent. The objective realities of the gospel are the thing that comes through. And that just means um, he talks about Jesus more than he talks about himself. He doesn't say, well, I was this big bonehead. I talked too much and I, I always got... One time Jesus called me Satan and then Jesus saved me and now I'm all... And he doesn't talk about himself. Instead, he, he turns the attention away from himself. And this seems to be the pattern of... Um, of Maybe the way we should share the gospel. And I'm not saying, and there, there is a place for, and I'm not saying there's, there isn't a place for the subjective things that God's done in your life um, and how Jesus and the gospel has converted you. But I think that the objective truths of the gospel should always be preeminent, should always be the forefront of our message. And notice how Peter does this in 37. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee. And we know that that's where, where, uh, Jesus first started his ministry, and we, we saw this as we went through Matthew. Um, where, right here it says, um, And after, from Galilee, after the baptism, John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all. This is really key here um, because he wouldn't have had to tell about the life of Jesus too many details uh, to people who were Jewish, but these people were Gentiles pretty unfamiliar with the life of Jesus. Usually we just see they kind of talk about his death and resurrection. But but Peter even fills in some of the life, some of the, the healings and some of the, the good works that he did. Just again, contextualizing and talking about Jesus. Um, contextualizing, by the way, just means um, knowing the year in which people live, knowing where they are, knowing their understanding and knowing their thoughts and process and, and what are the things going on in their life and thinking without changing the message, how can I... How can I share the gospel with them in the most effective way um, in the context in which they live, in the culture in which they live, which is going to make the most sense, not changing the message at all, but thinking about the things that they live in. That's contextualizing. So anyway, um, so he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
And we are witnesses, eyewitnesses at that, of all that he did both in Jerusalem, um, I'm sorry, and we are eyewitnesses of, of both of what he did in the country of, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And here he goes with more objective realities of Jesus, not himself. Um, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. So we can see his death, we can see his resurrection, and then we can see the eyewitnesses here. And they made and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. And we see in 1 Corinthians 15 that it was at least 500 people, 500 eyewitnesses that, that were um, able to see Christ. And it says, who have uh, been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people. This word preach is just proclaim. It doesn't mean what I'm doing. It means telling people the gospel. You can do this as well. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets of the Old Testament bear witness that everyone, and here's the message, here where it finalizes, the message you want to put in front of them as you've told them all the things about Christ. Verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. So, as we're looking at this, there's some things I think that we need to kind of mark in our mind as he unpacks the gospel and tells them about these objective realities of Christ. Um, you can notice that he talks about the life of Christ, that he talks about um, his death and his resurrection, and he talks about the eventual um, appearing to the, to the eyewitnesses. Now, here's the deal. Um, sometimes it's easier for us to think that there's more power or more persuasiveness by telling how we have had life change because of the gospel than rather telling this message, this simple message of Jesus Christ coming, living, dying, being resurrected, and eventually um, appearing to the disciples. But let me tell you something about the gospel itself. Um, as we read throughout, throughout um, Scripture, one of the things that becomes amazingly obvious to us is that message, that gospel message, carries with it amazing power. So whenever you start telling people the gospel, whenever you start proclaiming these truths about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and eventual um, appearance to the witnesses, there is power behind that. This isn't just... General words, like if you're giving somebody a recipe to something. This is the gospel itself. And so as you speak these words out of your mouth into the ears of someone, the Holy Spirit comes behind that message with power and drives down past the ears and drives the message of the gospel, the power of it, down deep into their heart. And he takes it and starts regenerating their heart, um, if it's his will, and they become converted and they see Christ as beautiful and then they put their faith in, in Christ. That's the power of this message. The, they seem to be just so obvious. Like they seem to, it's just a little message about a man that came and died. Um, but the words of this, the, of this gospel are not something that's just kind of, well, there's not really any power in it. I just tell them about Jesus. God takes the proclaiming of his gospel and couples it with the power of the Spirit so that when you or I or, or anyone, whether they're an awesome speaker or whether they're just, we're not really good with words at all, 
He puts his Holy Spirit behind this message and drives it down deep into the hearts of the people. So you don't have to be an eloquent speaker. You don't have to be an amazing um, intellect. All you need to know is the, um, the truths of the gospel. And then when God hears that, or when, whenever you, someone hears that, God sends his spirit, if they're going to be converted, and drives it down deep into their heart, and they become converted. So whenever you're... Um, with your roommate, whenever you're hanging out with your friends, if you, you, if you play sports, whenever you're um, around the neighborhood or whatever, and you know someone doesn't know Christ, and you feel like if I say this, it's just going to be all awkward, and I'm going to say it wrong, um, there's, there's not really going to be anything, you don't know. You have no idea if there's going to be any change in their heart or not, or, or not. So what you can do, and what I should do, all of us should do, is step out in faith, and this is, this, this is the one. The messenger shares the gospel. God has done all the things up until this. And this is where you and I must simply be obedient to sharing his message. And trust him that as we say it, whenever these people hear it, God is going to take it, whether you've been eloquent or whether you haven't been at all. The truths of Jesus are what he's told us to tell. And he uses that to convert hearts. He uses that to bring people to himself. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's a controversial message. You might be persecuted, but don't ever be afraid to open your mouth and proclaim it because there is actual power in proclaiming this message. And we need to believe that. Even the most hard-hearted of people, they might reject it, and... um, But God has the power by the Spirit to drive down deep into their hearts and see them become converted by your simple obedience of sharing the gospel with them. So you have to tell them. Now, here's the fifth thing that happens. Here's the fifth thing that happens. Um, God converts sinners and gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. God converts sinners and gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we've seen five things here. We've seen five things. And what we've noticed is, one, two, and three, and five, God does the work in those things. Four is where you are obedient, and you tell the simple message, which is already for us in verses 37 through 43 of the gospel. So, in our evangelism, we might not have this as our outcome. We might not get to see God convert sinners and give them the gift of the Holy Spirit when we share the gospel. But that doesn't erase or take away the responsibility. And so as we kind of think of evangelism and telling people, we can, if we kind of think of it in more of a holistic sense, in verses, or, or, I'm sorry, in points one through five, it gives us a little bit more confidence to know that if this is kind of the stages of conversion, God's already got four out of five for us done. That's a whole lot more reliable to think about. You, you, we concentrate on number four and we kind of take God out of the equation. We just think, I have to tell somebody the gospel. They probably won't get saved. And it becomes this huge thing. But if we think about really what happens, four out of these five things, God is doing work. And all we need to do is be obedient to that fourth one, proclaiming the gospel. And we know that these aren't just normal words. That God, as we, and that's why God's even in number four. As we proclaim the message, His power comes behind that and He can convert sinners with our message. That's the way He set it up. So God really is in all five, but we do have to do number four. And here we're going to see the proclamation of the gospel and this is what happened. And this is just... Man, I love this right here. All right, so here's God converts sinners and gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're not just out after conversion. 
We're not just out after people saying, well, now I'm free, I'm forgiven, woohoo, all right. But also this awesome thing, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes, and now they have power to live life for Christ. Look at what happens in 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. This is awesome. And the believers from among the circumcised, those are the people that were with Peter, the Jewish, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. This was brand new stuff right here. This is brand new stuff. And just a little side note. Um, we know as we read through the Bible that um, Peter was the one who preached the gospel to the Gentiles and conversion happened. But who's the, who's the apostle to the Gentiles? Paul. So Peter got to do a work and then Paul, God took him away and then Paul took it up. So it can be sometimes in your life that you're the proclaimer and you get to see the salvation and somebody else is called to do some of the rest of the work. Peter didn't get to keep hanging out with the Gentiles and seeing them converted. We, we see that the rest of the book of Acts, Paul's called to do this work. That's just a side note that gives us a little bit more encouragement, I think. Um, it says <clears throat> that even the Gentiles have received a gift of the Holy Spirit, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. So we see... God converts sinners and gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And let's just kind of, if we, if we could, take a look at three words, I'm sorry, four words in verse 44. Verse 44, it says, The Holy Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit fell. I think that if you've spent any time in church world, that we look at the book of Acts we look at Acts 2, we look at Acts 10, um, and when we see these stories of the Holy Spirit falling, we're like, yeah, that's the way it used to work back then. And, and I'm just kind of wondering, like, did the Holy Spirit just have, like, permission by God to only fall in power in the first century? Like, he's the same Holy Spirit then as he is now. <laughs> it's, like, it's not like he, he changed or something after the first century. He's like, oh, I can't fall anymore. I can't save 3,000 at a time anymore because it's, you know, 2011. Um, they don't, they don't, you know, they, they've kind of confined me and they know that I'm not allowed to fall like that anymore. I think that um, we kind of enter into uh, situations now thinking, whether we would admit it or not, that the Holy Spirit doesn't fall like this anymore. The Holy Spirit doesn't move and work like this anymore. And I, I think that that's maybe a wrong way to think. What would happen if we would... We would change our minds. I, it doesn't mean that we would start seeing 3,000 at a time get saved. But I think that maybe in your personal life, if you started saying, well, the Holy Spirit's the same person now as he was 2,000 years ago, I believe that he can just fall on this city and we can see all 70,000 people get saved in the next five years. Because he's the Holy Spirit. Like, he can do that. And so I'm wondering if we started living our lives with a little bit more expectation that the Holy Spirit has the power that he says he has, if we wouldn't start seeing a little bit kind of differences in this city. Maybe, if not in the city, just in your personal life. If you started really believing the Holy Spirit could just fall if I started speaking about Christ right now. In my family, in my class, or in my dorm, in my building that I live in, Jesus might just, Holy Spirit might just come down and everybody in my dorm room might get, might get saved. What if we started living life 
like we really believe that the Holy Spirit still allowed to fall like he did 2,000 years ago. Let's not have preconceived limitations on God, but really believe that he's free to move as big as he pleases and look for opportunities for that in our life. May we pray that he falls and converts sinners, regenerates hearts, and that people start believing the gospel and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and join us on our mission to go seek and save the lost. And what happens? What happens if we do that? Then what? Well, if you see um, 11, I'm not going to preach 11, but if you see in 11, 1 through 18, no, we're going to be here another hour. Um, if you see here in 11, 1 through 18, 1 through 17, Peter just kind of takes his homies, his, his buddies that were with him, and goes back over and says, hey, this is what happened, um, and explains to them, and he talked about how, and, and if you read 1 through 17, it's just kind of a recap of chapter 10. But look what happens in 18. This is what happens. If, if we start believing and go through these things and start sharing the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes and we believe that he can fall, this is what happens. Look at verse 18. Peter expl- explained to them what happened, and when it says, and when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that lead to life. They glorified God. When this happens, we get to join in, and we already are, glorifying God for getting to see more people come to Christ. God receives more glory, and we start magnifying His glory to the city just in utter amazement that he chooses to use messed up people like me and like you to see people get saved. I know you're just like me and think, I I got so many problems. I mean, if I were to open up my closet FUD, you would see just a whole closet full of junk that's messed up. I need to shut the door because you need to just know God doesn't want to use me. He wants to use the person that's got it all together. No one in the scriptures has it all together that's used by God. So just kind of take that mentality away. It's okay for you to be messed up. I'm messed up too. But God uses messed up people to see people come to Christ. And when that happens, we can glorify God as well. We can lift up His name and worship Him for letting us be a part of His great cause of seeing people come to Christ. That's an awesome mission to get to be a part of. Even though we're messed up and we're being sanctified, we can see people come to Christ. And it doesn't have to be people just like us. It can be just like Peter. We might be called to a whole new thing. It might mean that you just need to start praying more. Need to start thinking more about opportunities. People are being prepared just like Cornelius. Your heart is being prepared to be the messenger. And so what I'm saying is since God is pretty much in control of all the stages of salvation, why don't we start walking in obedience to our task to start telling people about Christ? Why don't we find ourselves more proclaiming the gospel than fearful. Because you have been given everything you need for life and godliness. You have been given everything you need to proclaim the gospel to people. Next week, we're going to gather together and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The thing that makes all of this possible. Without the resurrection... We would be totally defeated. But because he defeated Satan, sin, and death, we have power now to walk in this. So I want to encourage you this week 
to spend some time meditating on this last week of Christ, meditating on the things that he went through, the, the beatings, the forsaking of the Father, but and the death that he hung on the cross, but then his eventual victory, his eventual victory, where we receive life. Be thinking about people you know that need to hear that. There's people in your life that need to hear that message. The powerful message that Jesus Christ came and died. The objective truths of the gospel. There's people in your life that need to hear that. Be thinking about those people. They don't have to wait till next Sunday to hear it. You don't have to wait till next Sunday to bring them here. You can tell them this week. They can come already regenerated, already Christ followers, and sing out corporately for the first time and give glory to God. What I want to do as we go into our time of response um, is give you a moment to, to pray, just to simply pray. And then stand with us and let's glorify God because He is awesome and He is worthy of our praise. But what I want you to do right now is just be praying. Much the similar way that we've kind of talked about in this sermon. Pray about those who need to hear Christ. Pray for, if you don't know anybody, pray for opportunities. If you don't know anybody that needs Christ, surely you know people. If you don't know anybody that needs Christ, pray for opportunities. This is the time for you to be obedient to that. God, I want to share the gospel with someone today. I want to share the gospel with someone this week. Bring opportunities. As you pray for it, you will see that there are more opportunities that you're just not even aware of. And then after you finish praying for people to be saved and for opportunities for you to share the gospel, then let's stand and worship Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It seems crazy, Lord, that for people to come to know Christ, you are wanting us to be your mouthpiece. You are wanting us to be the messenger who delivers the message. It's overwhelming. And I just think there's got to be a better way and a better person. But this is how you've ordained it. This is how you've said it should happen. That we would go and proclaim the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. And so Lord, I pray for my friends and I pray for myself that you would develop within us a heart for those who are lost. Those who don't know you. Not just the outright pagans, but those who are religious, who are more difficult to love, who don't know Christ, who have an external obedience but not an internal heart change. Lord, I pray that we would have a heart for them and that we would pray for opportunities. We would pray for opportunities to see people that need to hear the gospel. Lord, would you even provide captive audiences like we saw here in verse 33 where everyone's gathered together and they sit down and we say, we're ready, tell us about Jesus. May we get to have amazing opportunities like that in our life. That would give us the encouragement to do it more. And lastly, Lord, I pray for conversion. I pray that we will see the lost 
come to Christ, to be forgiven for their sins and receive the gift of the Spirit. I pray that we would get to see it. It's so encouraging, God, when we get to see people come to Christ. And so we pray that you would glorify yourself and like the apostles, we would give you glory. Even if it doesn't happen, God, we will give you glory. We just ask that you would come and move mightily in our city and move mightily in our church and move mightily in our lives. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.